Hi, everybody. This is the Thinking Podcast by Nutribox. I'm your host, Michael Brandt, and I'm here today with Josh Witten, who's a philosopher, an entrepreneur, and a biohacker. He's, he runs Transloc, a location logistics company that helps track vehicles as they're moving around different spaces like campuses. We'll be talking about that and more. Uh, Josh, it's great to have you. Thanks. Glad to be here, Michael. So uh, you started Transloc, and that's solving the problem of transportation. Yeah, um, and helping solve the bigger problem of climate change. So it turns out, if you look at what the major culprits are for climate change, um, transportation has actually just surpassed all the other sources of greenhouse gas emissions to be the number one leading emitter. So we've been able to clean up our power plants on this planet in the past few years more effectively than we've been able to clean up our transportation systems. Right. And um, I think we both have a background in computer science. Yeah. And uh, so a few years ago when I was looking to make an impact in the world, I looked around and saw that um, transportation, passenger transportation, uh, was just not enjoying the benefits of the past 10 years of good software and computer science. And so if you can just bring that technology to a lot of this heavy infrastructure, we can really make a dent in carbon emissions. So you're helping with things like route finding, path finding, as cars are, are going from one place to another? Yeah, well, when we, not exactly, but when we uh, look at what in transportation is super broken, uh, you'll find that public transportation has been lagging behind mass transit, that kind of thing, has been lagging behind the whole industry. And so uh, we track thousands and thousands of buses. Essentially, we bring buses and trains and ferries and just people moving objects, big, heavy people moving devices, uh, onto the Internet of Things. So, right. were, so were they know things like the, the traffic patterns? There's a lot of real-time information, yeah. Okay. So you and I could get out our mobile phones in any city that we're in yeah. and look and see exactly where all the transit assets are, see where all the stops are, see the buses moving around in real time. Right. And that's going to take the guesswork out of it. We're going to go from saying, how would I get around this town in the least carbon efficient, you know, least carbon producing manner, and you can look and see in real time across the country thousands of, of buses and trains there to serve you. So, so that the big problem being solved there is access to data for the yeah the awareness user. awareness like you're just yeah. far less inclined people in the city are far less inclined to take public transit if it's uh this huge leap of faith that there's a paper schedule somewhere that's going to tell you right to go to some stop at some time you're, ro you're rolling the dice it's some big time risk well there's yeah. some time there's a time sink in just having in navigating and figuring it out and then there's time risk that the the perceived time risk that there's high variability to the the duration of the trip yeah um whereas other methods would be more predictable like hopping in your car hopping in your car is fairly predictable right, right. so in places where people are literally choosing to either take the car in their driveway yeah. or use a lower carbon manner of transportation this technology can make all the difference and that's just one example but we do like a dozen different things to help um overhaul the the passenger transport system in america uh, like even helping public transit work in a more like on-demand manner. Like yeah. what we know from Uber uh, and Lyft is that people love being picked up where they are and dropped off where they want to go. Yeah. Right. Uh, that nobody nobody wants to go to a bus stop and end up at a bus stop. That's not your destination. That's just a surrogate for some place you want to go eventually. Right. right. And there's no reason that public transit agencies can't be picking people up where they want to go and dropping them off too. And they've got a lot of vehicles to do it. So uh, what they're just missing is the software that uber and lyft have and we can provide that to them as well so that's another example of how we're kind of changing how transit can work 
in the future so that more people elect to take it. So I think a lot of people are listening and wondering, how do you end up solving this type of problem? And in day to day, like, what is your life look like as you're solving these problems? You like thinking about this complex thing. There's probably a lot of stakeholders involved, a lot of different types of thinking involved in solving it. How do you like to structure your day? How do you optimize to make sure that you're thinking about the right problem, being as productive as possible, keeping the ship headed in the right direction and, and not missing details? Uh, that's a great direct, uh, great question. And, um, I am always trying to come up with a better answer for that. Okay. Uh, so I think we're both possessed with a notion of human potential yeah. and, uh, and this brings up the whole question of like, there's getting your hardware running better, uh, getting all your neurochemicals, uh, sorted out and all that. And then there's like doing the best thing with your brain cycles. So I try to do a lot of journaling for example to kind of ask like literally dialogue with myself like what's the most important thing to do today right um delegating right i actually um handed off my company to a ceo several years ago because i just that wasn't that operating role wasn't what i wanted to do on a daily basis and so there's a lot smaller chance that i'd be here on this podcast having a great time with you and hopefully you know offering something useful to all those people out there if I were just engaged in the day-to-day operating role of that. Uh, so delegation, teamwork, I don't know. It's a great question, though. Hopefully we can get to a better answer as this goes on. Yeah. What do you do to, to, be, to feel your best? You, you've talked about things like protein-restricted diet. You've talked about yeah. um, a, a lot of interesting experiments that you've done yourself with, with diet or lifestyle choices. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear like what... what you've decided what's made the final cut what's part of your routine what has made the final cut um i have tried a lot more things than i would say have made the final cut so uh for sure obviously what are some interesting things you've tried uh like i was you know donating a lot of blood for a while right to uh lower my ferritin levels and stuff like that okay and And what's the notion there the notion there is that the less iron that's essentially floating around your body then the less uh oxidation will happen and we we don't need but so much iron in our body and we're living longer than ever so there's just the possibility that we're just accumulating iron unnecessarily right Interesting. and we also don't like get in bloody battles as much anymore we live kind of gentle lives and so uh so we have to cope with you know as we live longer and all this stuff there are there are evolutionarily you know regulated mechanisms that don't really know what to do with all this blood that we're not well in a yeah in a lifespan that is just so yeah. long in general now right so i was doing that for a while but then and then we're donating you know, basically donating blood is the only way to get rid of excess iron it's the cheapest way to get rid of of right. excess iron that's stored up in your blood but then the reason i stopped doing it um it's pretty, but spe- we don't know. It's going to take a long time before we know what the ideal iron levels are in the body. Right. Uh, it's going to take a long time before we understand um, whether this theory about the oxidization of the iron even matters. And, uh, and then moreover, you're triggering your body to have to create a lot of new blood cells. Right. And so as you get older, you actually generally want to minimize the events of cell division and replication that you're triggering because it just, the copying errors just get worse and worse over time. So, so I've tried, again, this is an example of something that I love coming up with theory and then giving a go for a while. 
Um, but I've done that. I've done neurofeedback. Um, what are the optimal brain waves, you know, to have going for different tasks? Um, explored altered states of all kinds. You know, what are altered states good for? Um, uh, therapy, like dealing with baggage that we have, emotional baggage, bad experiences from our past, right? They're all just rattling around in there. And so, sure, you can get your mind working very quick and very alert and all this, but the software might be crap that you're running, right? Yeah. So how to tweak that software. And how do you measure these things? Or is it, for you, a, a more intuitive sense? Because one of the things that it would seem to make sense to do if you're bloodletting is like to have some metric you're measuring that against. Or um, for, for some of the more ephemeral stuff or, or like personality mood stuff, that can be admittedly harder to measure objectively. But... There's still ways of measuring it, perhaps. I mean, you mentioned journaling. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get a sense of like, as you're trying these things, how do you really know what's working yeah. versus not? Like, how do you? It's really hard to know uh, until you get there. Yeah. Right. And so you can look at your telomeres and all this kind of stuff, the biomarkers of aging. Um, but it is much more subjective and also much quicker to just check in and see like, how do I feel? Uh, like maybe you're sleeping too much and um, you have a loss of energy. And is that uh, a matter of getting onto a nootropic regimen? Sure, give it a shot, modifying your diet. Yeah. But also, for example, if you like don't have enough purpose in your life, like you're just not jazzed about what you do for a living, you might want to address that, right? right? Because your, your mind, powerful as it is, is not going to ignore the fact that you don't yeah. think what you do for 50 hours a week matters. Right. And no... And no enhancement's going to affect that. That's right. That's uh there's there's no nootropic that's going to solve it. There's no implant that's going to solve it. Yeah, I think this is where you get into yeah. the anti-nootropic of like drinking beer every day at 6 p.m., right? Which, it's it's the opposite. You're you're trying to like Yeah. you're not addressing it so you go into you're like doing, escape escapism. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. That escapism is would be the op, the opposite of self-actualization yeah yeah there you yeah go. we had a, a whole episode with my co-host who's currently out of town and we talked about hard work as a means towards self-actualization mm-hmm. about how to to discover who you are and to find your identity you basically have to try a bunch of things out be very playful and exploratory feel what works what you're good at what you're not what you yeah. like doing what you don't yeah. and and you're always in play mode and kind of like building out your identity as you're seeing yourself almost from the outside yeah. but you, but it takes hard work yeah. and you have to have something that you actually care 110 percent about to and then mean it yeah uh, and and then that's how you, this process of self-discovery happens and it's interesting that you'd mention that that um sometimes that's that's what needs to be fixed right like mm-hmm. if we're thinking about uh bio enhancement it's like uh sometimes there's the there's a the main the first question is well what's really broken or what really needs mm-hmm, fixing because mm-hmm. sometimes it might be a matter of mm-hmm. um, adjustment and so then that that actually in, invites an interesting question which is that um, should there be a sense of restricting enhancement to people who are already at a certain level of psychological wellness where in the ideal world we would we would have people doing enhancement technologies when they only when they need it rather than um, to patch up something that might be more uh, psychological or spiritual or whatever, it might be a matter of disposition, and then and then who's who's making that call? Yeah, the regu- <laughs> regulating that is going to be 
obviously a problem, but yeah. what we're I think all in agreement about is that we want to prioritize things properly. Right? right. And there have been times when I've I've been meticulously monitoring carbohydrate intake or something, right? When maybe I had a relationship problem that I wasn't addressing, right? And so I've got like a I'm looking <laughs> for a productivity enhancement like 0.001 power up, you know, and I have this energy emotion drain minus 30 thing going on in my life that I'm not addressing, right? So just prioritizing them properly. And I did listen to that episode that you just mentioned and uh <coughs> just a few thoughts there. It's Abraham Maslow refers to yeah. your self-actualizing work. I just love that phrase like what there's a lot of there's a lot of there's endless amount of work out there to do. What is your self-actualizing work? Like, what is the task that when you engage in it, like, you become the next version of yourself, right? And for me, that turned out to be uh, entrepreneurship. So as much as I love thinking and writing and um, having experiences of all kinds, when I looked at where is my self-actualizing work, uh, being an entrepreneur, that intersection of practically providing something to a market, addressing a need, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious. So for you, it's entrepreneurship. Um, I'm sure there's other types of pursuits that fulfill the self-actualization in, in other people that you've seen. Um, what are those types of things and what are the, some of the characteristics that they, those all share? The most general and useful thing that I would, I would offer as a, as a framework is that it's almost like you've got this blueprint inside of yourself that's... that's um, wants to be built, right? It's just plans for like a self-actualized you. Yeah. And then the experiences you engage in around you, your work, your relationships, um, your relationships to everything, your relationships to food, your relationships to nutrients, everything around you is a potential raw material for the build out of yourself. Right. So even with the, even with you know that blueprint means that what you what you ultimately fill the blueprint spec with like it's going to be colored by all those things right yeah so people self actualizing I think to your point can look different in different people's lives yeah yeah and you're saying entrepreneurship's an activity for you that helps you to discover the blueprint yeah and to and to fulfill the manifest like it, it just which, if you set out to make a difference yeah which is cool I'm just curious what are other yeah. types of things for you it's entrepreneurship. For other people, what are other types? It's everything. Of I mean, you've you've got you've got great programmers out there. You've got people doing volunteer work. You've got scientists. You've got and what is the thread? What is the thread? Like, what ties it? Is there a certain type of activities in particular, or is it? I think whatever. I think that's the that's the crux of the matter. Is that it's it is not easy to reduce into a, a hard and fast rule at a specific level. So it's just about getting your needs met, legitimate, your legitimate needs met, right? Right. And that brings up this whole other conversation because society has for a little while now been sort of a wants, more of a wants-based kind of culture perhaps. You look at most marketing is kind of geared toward wants, convincing you you want something and then right. convincing, you, convincing you you have to have it, you know? Uh -huh. But if we take a really kind of needs-based approach, um, what I might need, you know, in, in my professional career next is to uh, really go make a difference in helping with something like climate change, one of the, you know, greatest challenges we're facing as a species right now. But uh, what somebody else might need right now is 
a friend or a different peer group or to backpack across Europe or who knows what, right? And so you can't look at that person and say, you should be doing this thing I'm doing necessarily. It's just about, are they engaging in something that is meeting their legitimate physical or psychological psycho-spiritual needs, whatever you want to call it. So that's why it's so varied and we've had a it's hard time. It's interesting because I would say, I would take a strong opinion there and say that there is something special about about hard work and building something in creation that, that's distinct from uh, like backpacking or traveling or um, or kind of like taking things in, but that there's this affirmative notion of, of creation that does, that is special uh, where, where by doing it, you uh, something novel happens that doesn't happen when you're not doing it. Yeah. You're, you're literally taking your ideas and your sense of order and justice and whatever in the yeah. world and you're, you're expanding it out and that's yeah. very cool. But there's age appropriate versions of that I guess okay, is what sure. I'm saying. Right. Yeah. So exactly what you just said I could think of that as like this hard charging self-actualizing entrepreneur in their 20s or 30s or something and yeah. I could equally think of like a four-year-old building a Lego tower. Yeah. They're both engaging in their self-actualizing work. That's all I'm saying. And so yeah. for a 15-year-old to like travel to another country where they don't know the language and where they're without their parents, that might be their self-actualizing yeah, yeah, yeah. work in that moment. That's all. But yeah, no, ultimately, we're not going to solve the world with Legos and, and five-year-olds, right? Like we have to, we have some serious challenges and, and creative acts that we want to see increasingly age appropriate and increasingly amazing and all that stuff yeah and it's it's cool i think that we're at a special time in human history where there's more people that are in a position to solve problems like this than ever before and i think it's it's like millions of times more because uh you know 150 years ago a lot of people were were having to do basic things like farming and blacksmithing and right now that's taken up by a very small you know two percent of people percent of the population Mm -hmm. and so there's we've opened up a lot of abundance where i think of uh as a society we're moving up massive hierarchy of needs where there's fewer people who are responsible for the basic things like food shelter safety like a lot of houses are built a lot of food supply chain is already established a lot and so there's what we have is uh millions tens of millions of people who are of this like uh who are intellectuals you would consider them like they're basically the easy way to understand it is is a lot of their their productive work spent staring at a glowing rectangle yeah right like and there's millions of people and the reason that that's actually a, a good definition is because like when you're staring at your glowing rectangle you're dealing in in abstractions and symbolic systems and it's like spreadsheets and, and logos and th- concepts and things like it, it's it's abstract and it's intellectual and i think that gives uh what that means is that there's a large group of people who are solving bigger problems than ever before that for every Isaac Newton, right? If we had one Isaac Newton, um, in the 19th century that today there's a hundred of them alive yeah. and, and plugged in. There's also, there's also more people, I don't know, playing Farmville or Pokemon goal or something, go or something never before <laughs> too. Right. So it's, it's, it's almost like everything is, is more than ever before. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but one, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah it, it cuts both ways. Yeah. Uh, and we do have this problem that you can you can see now with uh, if you like cruise through the spirituality scene or the mindfulness scene or whatever, like people struggling with things like like busy mind, right? Like what right. does the mind that has the luxury of thinking about anything think about? And we didn't used to have that luxury necessarily. Right. It's like winter's coming. Let's get, get on with your, it. Yeah, yeah, get on your damn horse, get some wood. Yeah. Like you, the 
we never had time to lie idle. Yeah, and now we have existential crises instead, where it's just like, what do I do? Yeah. Why? What's worth doing? That kind of stuff. So I do like that we're. I think. Gonna how, some, yeah. How are we going to deal with that? Because I think on the one hand we have people who are, we have individuals who are tackling like, you know, transportation systems or climate change broadly. Like we have individuals who are willing massive leverage because of this. Um, this abundance where you don't have to gather firewood for the coming winter. Um, and yet at the same time, we're also seeing uh, existential ennui or existential like there's an emptiness where, OK, you're not compelled by purpose to haul the fireworks. So what the fuck am I doing? Like, what am I? Uh, and you don't want your, you don't want your parents job necessarily or right. what their framework for meaning was. And right? so how are we going to solve that as a society? Like what's. Yeah. Like, the, uh, well, how are you, how are you going to figure this out? I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can help solve it by being on this podcast right yeah. now. So, <laughs> uh, one thing that I notice as a, as a broad pattern for just people out there who are wondering with this question, like what is the most, some of the most important things I can be doing with my, my life? Cause I think we need meaning. We have to run on meaning is one of those essential nutrients, right? Yeah. And I am somebody who has, um, gone and explored not just what technology can do and problems like transportation, but um, how nature works, problems of pollution. I mean, carbon, climate change is like a, a carbon a CO2 pollution problem, really, right? Loss of biodiversity. Uh, we have all these things that are happening to the planet right now. And when you look at solving them, what you find is that there are just not enough people actually working on them and working on them in the right way. And what I mean by that is uh, you might have an, an ecologist or an environmentalist looking at um, biodiversity and loss of species and oceans. We have huge coral reef die-offs right now because of climate change and temperature swells. You don't have so many engineers and computer scientists looking at those problems. So there's there's so much opportunity right now to take skills from one domain and to apply them to another. Like the quote we were talking about earlier, that the future is already here, but it's not evenly distributed. Right. Right. So there's just so, huge leverage points. So th it's interesting when you say that because you're saying that, that a, a mass amount of workers should move from this industry to that industry. And... I would say... Not move, but integrate. Integrate. Oh, I would say then where's Cross the... Cross-train, intersect. Where's the... Where's the finance? Where's the financing coming from? What's because there's people. Facebook can employ engineers because Facebook sells hella ads. Yeah. Climate change has a harder time employing engineers because like the there's less of a of a natural capitalist business model built around around solving it. And so I guess to answer my own question, I would say that um, it and this I'm not the first to say this, but that a Manhattan Project or uh, Apollo Project scale of government allocation of resources would be the thing to solve this to help to reallocate thinkers from uh, fields that are currently uh, very well capitalized to fields that are not well capitalized but which represent problems that that's, society that's one ought model. to solve that's one model but we know that capitalism and markets actually work pretty well okay so long as there aren't unpriced externalities Right, right. climate change is not priced properly. Not priced properly, right. Um, loss of biodiversity is not priced properly. And so I guess just to a little background, I think we know the term, but just to, to expand on the notion of priced, what do you, externalities, what do you mean? Sure, when you buy something, um, the company has generally tried to get the lowest 
manufacturing costs so that there's sure. the highest margin. Sure. And so what they've had to do is sort of sweep under the rug every possible thing that they can get away with not thinking about. Right. So what happens to their trash? What, how are people disposing of this product that they sell them? Is that ending up in the air? Is that turning into air pollution that then leads to massive health problems? Or is what they're manufacturing leading to an epidemic of diabetes that then creates this, you know, takes a lot of who could be productive people, like lessens their productivity hugely, creates whole sort of illeg illegitimate industries to sort of just help Treat them that, yeah. exist in a, in a kind of low productive way. And, and biodiversity, like biodiversity is, if you think about it, it is the substrate of evolution. Like when you look at when evolution really got off on this exponential curve, it's as there are just more living things interacting with more living things, right? So we haven't even come to fully appreciate what all the other animals and microbes and fungi and all these things on the planet even do for us. So we haven't seen another, another phrase that almost nobody in Silicon Valley ever hears is ecosystem services. Like there are services being provided by the ecosystem for free all the time because it's all solar powered and gravity powered and all that kind of thing that our life actually depends on, our way of life depends on. But we have been able to sweep that under the rug for a lot of years and just not worry about it, right? So, so yeah, so basically when a, a factory is making a toy and they, they might have an option between doing something that's high pollution and cheap, low pollution and expensive, uh, they'll do the high pollution and cheap one to save money, pass it on to the end customer, but... Uh, and pass the, on the problems to society. And pass on this, right, which we're all paying for. Um, or sometimes it's not evenly distributed. The person buying the toy is not affected by the pollution, but the person who lives in the in the city where the factory exists um, in lower income situation, that person is affected. So there's a lot of stratification that gets worsened. And so the notion is you have to capture that externality. It should yeah. be really expensive to pollute. Like yeah. there should literally, it should be expensive to, uh, to do that or to acquire energy from coal versus solar power. Like we should maybe make coal more expensive to obtain yeah, yeah, yeah. the the quick counter to that is always that oh that's gonna slow down our economy in general it's more taxes it's more yeah, yeah. um you, like perf way, perfectly well operating businesses are yeah. gonna grind to a halt because yeah. basic things like energy and materials that they've been getting that are baked in are gonna just skyrocket in cost when we start baking in these externalities so it's it's expensive to account for yeah. these things in the near term, not in the long term. Right, in the long term, it's the right, right move. Yep. And so this is why we need nootropics making people as smart as possible. We can start taking like so. the long-term view, right? Yeah. So for example, um, economy has to mean something other than how successfully can the human race turn the planet into garbage and cash. Right. Because when you multiply that kind of mistake, all these unpriced externalities, times 8 billion people, yeah. they show up. And that's what we're beginning to encounter now is... I don't know who said it, but we used to think you could throw stuff away. Turns out there is no away. Yeah. It well, just you ends up in your fishing lines. I like, think, oh, there it is again. Yeah, right? and I think another, another interesting point to consider uh, while we're on this, on this topic is uh, what about different nations, though? Because I think that there's always this kind of gamesmanship where if our country taxes more on pollution and unclean energy, then... Well, that's great, but then like China's going to keep doing what it's doing. India is going to do what it's doing. Yeah. Brazil, Nigeria, yeah. right? All these yeah. all these countries that are that are growing quickly are going to continue to industrialize in dirty ways, and then the United States is we're going to be really well behaved and clean and have a lagging economy. 
um, so that there would perhaps. But maybe we can breathe our air, and that's well, nice. Yeah, but it's still the it's still the uh, tragedy of the commons where like pollution is global, yeah, 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 temperature yeah, change yeah, is global. Yeah. So which so is a great like, example, which is a great time for the technologists and the keepers of the interwebs to like come in and shed light on these kind of heinous externalities, right? So yeah, you see, it's, yeah. again, I'm trying lobbying for the intersection I think, of all these powerful communications. Yes, and, 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 like, and, I, and I do think that we're, one of the things that's going to continue to happen is that people, the consumers will want to know more about things, yeah. that, that people will actually more and more put their dollars towards yeah, yeah. things that are better for the planet. Because when people have wealth when people have abundance they want to put that towards meaning they want to build a sense of identity right that cure for that like existential ennui that sense of oh what am i doing once one way to solve it is um is you is putting your money towards things that you believe in buying more expensive Mm -hmm. things because they support something real that that can give you a sense of identity granted it's still it's still um consuming rather than creating but i do think that for a lot of Depends um, on what you're consuming. You might yeah. be consuming conservation. You yeah. might consume. You might buy a thousand acres of land it's, and then like keep a factory from being built there and do something better with it. Right. So we want it's to so, shift yeah. consuming though to not mean treating the planet entirely like a raw material right. and not at all like an ecosystem. And, I, and, and, and there and is I, a way to consume that way. Yeah, and I I think that that's that's incredible. And I think that when we're in that state, that uh, there's people are going going to want to be able to modulate their cognition, have the best control, be able to mood regulate people to have good productivity like, like yeah. if people are are more in this cerebral state they're going to want different ways of, of totally, improving themselves totally. one last thing i wanted to end on um was just a really interesting blog post with, that you wrote about how you consider money as a neurotransmitter and i thought that was just really a uh, succinct analogy i was curious can you like can you kind of unpack it a bit for us what do you mean by that so I like, I like to use very reasonable, rational ways to sort of back your way into a more cosmic sort of spiritual perspective, not, not just unreasonable ways, right? And so if you look at biological um, patterns, patterns we see in all of nature, actually, uh, we see that complex things are made up of simple things. That's how you know, atoms make molecules, molecules, blah, 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 cells made of organelles create organs, blah, blah, blah. And you have neurons making up a brain and we know that the mind is somehow closely related to the brain right pretty sure of that and so what's funny is that we're very comfortable taking this sort of uh view of emergent complexity starting with our mind and looking downward we like looking through a microscope and saying oh look at my cells that's neat oh they're made up of smaller things that's neat oh what's what are atoms made of that's neat but we get really skittish when we start or we have a defense against thinking about what am i just a small thing in uh. and so what and it's almost a definition of an ego defense right like i want to think like, like i'm the top the top, le- the top layer right yeah. the top level but clearly we're not like we have and we have words that we yeah. denote that we're not we have culture society government we see these functional units almost like For functional sure. regions in the brain emerge and so when you look at humans as neurons interacting with, an, so with each other so i'm just imagining like the the time lapse video of like of a city and you see tr- you see um, cars moving everywhere. Yeah, those and, are synapses. And, yeah, like, so yeah. we help people. So, so, so this is why I get kind of excited about even something as like transportation. Like, is it just buses and trains, or are these synapses in the global brain? Like that right. person. There's organ systems. Yeah. Like electricity, p- 
transportation. Like these are just different organ systems. Of That's this. right. They're different organ systems. And if you start taking that biological perspective, then money starts to look a lot like a neurotransmitter. There's a lot of different forms of it. It transacts pretty quickly. It facilitates these exchanges between people. And in the body, we have over a hundred neurotransmitters, right? And, and the reason I got to thinking about that was because I started thinking about uh, the explosion in currencies with cryptocurrencies, right? You went from just kind of a one-to-one -one mapping of nation states to money, and then you had this explosion suddenly. And what do those cryptocurrencies allow us to do? They allow us to have more robust interactions, transnational, global exchanges, right? So it just, it just, it was just a kind of a fun moment where I took this sort of what's going on in nature from this level down, and what, what would that mean if it were going from this level up? And so, yeah. but a punchline in there that kind of ties into what you guys do is that once you realize money is sort of this neurotransmitter, what, what, what should you be doing with it, right? Because that's a whole nother level. It's like, oh, and I control some of it, right? Yeah. Um, and you can literally take money and squirt it in a direction and get somebody to do a unit of work. That's right. an incredible power. None of us are, incredibly, are entirely impervious to it, right? Right. So let's start spending that money in ways that enhance our own consciousness, our own performance. Let's spend yeah. that money in ways that improve the relationship between things like business, technology, nature, economy, right? We have agency here. And, yeah. and the more conscious we are, the more agency we have. That's awesome. Yeah. And I want to say thanks for your time, Josh. It's been an awesome episode. And just real quick, where can people learn more about you? Sure, they can find me at my website, joshwitten.com, W-H-I-T-O-N. I'm the only Josh Witten out there who spells it that way or at, on Twitter, at Josh Witten or Medium, at Josh Witten. I'll keep blogging as often as I can. Awesome, well, thanks. Thank you, Michael. And for everyone out there, you can check out our podcast on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes and share it with a friend. Thanks for joining us. Bye.